0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Well, good morning. Uh, As Frank said, uh, my name is Tyler. I have the fortune to be one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, just let me say, like Frank did, like Harry said, uh, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to those of you joining online. Thank you for joining us, and happy Mother's Day. Um, this is a great day to celebrate moms. Hopefully, uh, if you are a mom, you feel loved and appreciated. Uh, we do have uh, a photo opportunity out in the foyer. You probably noticed it when you walked in. If you didn't, I don't know how to help you. It was like right there by the doors. Um, but I understand. Like, my wife would tell you i do the same thing with dishes. Like, you know, they can be two feet high on the counter. And she's like, why don't you do them? We've got dirty dishes? I, I didn't see it. You know, we just walked by. But uh, if you're here with your family, if you're here with your mom, please grab a photo uh, and we can get that to you free of charge and all of that. We'd love for you to have that. Um, and I also want to acknowledge just uh, the reality of Mother's Day. It's a happy day. It's a time to celebrate. Uh, but for many of us, it also brings a, a reminder of loss or a reminder of uh, maybe unmet uh, desire to be a mom. Um, and then so it can be hard for some of you probably in this room. And so I would just say, uh, again, welcome. We're glad you're here, uh, even in the midst of it may be uh, a day that's, that's tinged with some grief. Um, this is a good place to be when you're going through that. So... Um we're going to be in Matthew six today, so you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, also, if you uh, are a user of the Bible app, you can follow along with our live event. Uh, or if you like a hard copy of Scripture and you do not have one for yourself, on the as I face it, the right-hand stage of the tech booth, we have some Bibles that you are welcome to grab and then take from here. We would love for you to have that uh, to use at your home as well. That's our gift um, to you. But as you kind of turn uh, to Matthew six, we'll be in, in 30, verses thirty-four, thirty-three, and thirty-four. It's the end of the chapter. Um, you know, there are situations and, and events in our life, circumstances, days that kind of we, we look back on and, and recognize as a turning point where, you know, life used to be like this and now uh, it's just headed in a little bit different direction. Our values, our priorities, uh, our behaviors have changed. Uh, sometimes that's a big event. It's a, a wedding, it's a uh, birth of a child, you know, that, that just shifts our life. And other times uh, they're minor events. No one really recognizes the significance other than maybe us as we look back and go, you know, it was kind of. Um, A moment in which my life hinged. Uh, I had one of those small ones that only I kind of recognized in my early 20s. Uh, It was in 2007, 2008-ish. The housing bubble had burst, um, and so the government was trying to stimulate uh, people buying houses. And so they were giving, if you remember uh, at the time, a really generous uh, large tax credit for you first-time homeowners to go out and buy a house. And so I lived in a place where houses were cheap, um, and so I took advantage of that. I went and purchased a house and got some roommates um, and became a homeowner. And that wasn't a really big event in my life, it wasn't a turning point, but it was a a, uh, time where I, you know, kind of, a lot of life came with it. Um, I had to uh, cobble together furniture that looked like at least one step above, picked it up on trash day from curbs. Um, I had to find dishes that didn't match, but, you know, maybe they were like distant cousins for each other, they could kind of pass as being related. Um, I hung stuff on the walls, I had to learn how to paint for the first time, I had to buy yard equipment. Like... What? Weed eater? Why would why I need a weed eater? Um, all these different things to kind of mark that transition from being uh, living in an apartment to living uh, in my own home and taking care of some of these responsibilities. And as months went by, kind of Christmas started coming up. And my mom you know, asked, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Uh, and so I said, oh, you know, this, that, and the other. Uh, but one of the things I asked for was like, man, I really need a good vacuum cleaner. Because the like, $25 one I brought over from my apartment is just not cutting it with my house and all this carpet. And so, you know, time went on and Christmas arrived. And even now, you know, many, many years later, I look back at that Christmas and I remember two things. I remember the most excited gift I opened, or most excited I was about opening a gift was the vacuum cleaner. And I also remember thinking in that moment, oh no, (laughs) like this is not good. Uh, My life is changed. Like I am now, you know, I didn't know when exactly this happened, but I am now an adult, you know, like I am concerned with my house, I'm concerned with a mortgage, I'm concerned with these responsibilities, and so I have shifted the priority and the focus of my life, and this passage we're going to look at today is an invitation that Jesus extends to us to shift our focus, to not be prioritizing, not be focused on the thing that we uh, have been before, but to focus on, to chase after, to seek after something that is different. But before we, we jump in, we do need to back up and just kind of look briefly at uh, where we've been the past couple of weeks. Because the two verses we're going to look at aren't just, they don't stand alone. Uh, they're the concluding thought of not only what we taught, uh, what Trent taught last week, uh, but also what he taught uh, going back, starting in verse 19, where Jesus really starts hitting us on how we relate to our material possessions. And you've been tracking along with us the past couple of weeks. Or if you haven't, you can go get these sermons online. Uh, but I think it was three weeks ago we talked about Matthew 19. Uh, where Jesus says, you know, hey, store up treasures uh, not on earth where you have thieves and moth and rust that can destroy them, but store up treasures in heaven. You know, put them where they're eternal, where they're protected. Uh, and then he, he goes into the next passage and says, not only that, uh, but you can really only serve one of two masters. And he he kind of uses the example specifically here of you can serve kind of material things. uh, You can serve money and material wealth, or you can serve God. It's one or the other. You can't have it both and. Um, It reminds me of the passage in uh, Joshua. You know, it's kind of a famous passage which says, choose this day who you will serve. Uh, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, I'm convinced uh, and I think this is scientifically proven, that every Christian receives this as a wedding gift on a wall hanging or a coffee mug or something like that. You know, it's just this perverse that many of us kind of put over our lives and over our households that we want to be people that serve the Lord and choose to serve him. Uh, but Jesus says it's one or the other. You cannot do both. Um, and then uh, last week, the first half of the sermon uh, was in Matthew 6, 25 through 30, where Jesus kind of pivots and says, hey, you know, gives us this illustration. and says, hey, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at how richly God provides for them, that they have their needs met by this creator that, uh, as Trent said, I think he says, cares for you, values you, and knows your needs were his points of that sermon. And so if that is true, then we can live like that is true. And then in the verse immediately uh, following this, or in the two verses, verses 31, uh, Jesus kind of makes the conclusion that we looked at last week. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so the argument that Jesus is making says, hey, if you notice how God richly provides for his creation, then we can give up our worry over what we eat, over what we drink, over what we wear. And these were questions that Jesus is posing to his original hearers that were very real needs for them in the day. If you think back 2000s of years ago, uh, 2,000 years ago, it was a time that uh, they weren't as secure as we often are today, where what they were gonna eat that day, what they were gonna drink, what they were gonna wear, weren't necessarily a given. And I acknowledge that some of you, I know some of your stories, uh, some of you experienced a time like that, uh, or maybe you're even there today where you feel the weight of these questions that you're here and you may go, I don't have the money in my wallet to go pay for lunch. I don't know what that's going to look like. And so this produces anxiety in you or, or worried stress. Uh, but for many of us in kind of this day and age and this uh, country and, and time we live, uh, these aren't questions that we really feel the weight of like they would have then. You know, if your wife leans over to you and says, what shall we eat? You think Tex-Mex or burgers, I'm good with either. You know, um, the only anxiety or stress, it's like, is this gluten-free or not? Uh, It's a different time. We don't have these same uh, daily concerns that they did then. But the uh, kind of fascinating thing is, though we're more secure in kind of our day-to-day life, uh, studies show we feel more anxiety, stress, and worry than other nations. There was a study that I ran across this week. Uh, that said to people over 26 countries so a pretty large study and they found that people in high-income countries like we live are over three times more likely to suffer from severe anxiety than those in low-income countries so there's something going on in us that maybe we are even more uh we need this teaching more than jesus's original hearers because this is so, such a part of our culture such a part of our daily lives and i do think it is worth saying just you know, by way of disclaimer, and Trent said this last week too, uh, but there are circumstances and situations that we encounter uh, that produce so much anxiety that can be crippling and, and kind of frees us up, where medical intervention and medicine can play an important role in allowing us to begin to function and begin to learn to deal with that. Uh, and so don't, by any means, please don't hear the sermon and get, think, if you... Uh, have sought that type of help for your anxiety, then you've somehow failed in your walk with God. Uh, but what we do want to say is that Jesus is speaking here uh, last week and this week to learning to walk in freedom uh, from the stress and the worry that we carry as part of our daily life with the challenges, challenges that come uh, into our lives, and that he offers us this freedom that we can learn to lean into, and that's what we're going to look at. So Jesus gives this illustration, you know, kind of says, "Look at how God creates or, or uh, provides for His creation, and if He does that, uh, then you don't have to worry." And then in verse 32, he says, "You know, uh, that's how the Gentiles live; they seek after these things." And when he says that's how the Gentiles live, what he means is that's the people that don't know God uh, live their lives, and that's not meant as a shot or a disparagement. It's meant as just uh, a fact. Like if you don't believe that there's a God who knows. Your needs, that cares for your needs, that wants to provide for your needs, then you're left with figuring out on your own and making sure that you're taken care of. But Jesus says, but if you do believe there is such a God, if you do believe uh, that God loves you and cares for you and will meet your needs, then you're free to live a different way. That's what we find here as we get to it. Got your Bible open, turn to verse 33, where Christ says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This passage starts with the word but, which means also instead of. Live differently. He's providing a different option than what he's just uh, detailed before. Towards a different way of life. You know, don't live like those who don't know God. If you know God, you can live differently. So he's inviting us to a life that's characterized by trust, in this God that we've talked about the past few weeks that provides, that uh, knows you that cares for you, that loves you and wants to provide uh, it's a life characterized by trust in him versus by just self-reliance and so what does this look like to begin to trust God with this how does this life kind of shift our priorities well, he says it's, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness What does it mean to seek first, this isn't just a, a thing about when we do it in our day like okay it's first on the priority list and once we can cross that off we can move on to other things you know don't just have a devotional first thing and then go about your day like you would otherwise not that that's a bad thing to orient your heart towards God but what he's saying here is a it's a call for it to be the first and foremost of our priorities the thing that uh, defines everything else that we do when he Christ says seek this first it's not just seek this Uh, before you do anything else, but it's as you do everything and anything that God puts in front of you, be doing this as well. Be seeking the kingdom as you go about your day. Be seeking the kingdom as you go to work. Be seeking the kingdom as you drive down I-45, maybe the most challenging thing of all. Be seeking the kingdom as you parent. Be seeking the kingdom as you call that friend you haven't seen in a while. What does these different things uh, look like? How does that Influence the fact that you were seeking the kingdom, how does that change how we approach everything that we do? You know, it means seek this as first importance. Uh, C. S. Lewis has a favorite or a famous quote uh, that says that I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. You know, Christ says, seek the kingdom uh, first, meaning this is the thing that overlays everything in our life and colors everything. Just like when you put on sunglasses, everything takes that sh- uh, sh- tint, that shade of gray or blue or whatever the, sh- the lenses are, uh, and it looks differently because you have those sunglasses on. Be seeking the kingdom and see everything through the lens of that. And what does this kind of mean to seek the kingdom? This is not go pursue something that's far off go find something that's hidden this is the same kingdom that in matthew four seventeen, jesus begins his earthly ministry by saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he has brought it near and close to us so uh we've got many of you guys know my family we've got a four-year-old named logan and one of the things that happens virtually every night is we have a bedtime routine and i read him a story or we you know, kind of do the thing, but it's, you know, you put on pajamas, you uh, brush your teeth, and then we've got a story and prayer. But between the brushing the teeth and the story and prayer, he takes off like a dart and runs into his room and jumps in his bed and pulls the covers over his head uh, because he wants to play hide-and-seek. But he's really bad at it because he doesn't get the point of the game. You know, like, for us, if we play hide-and-seek, you know, the point is to find a really good hiding spot to not be found, right? Like, we want the seeker to not find us. But Logan the point for him, he wants me to find him. But he wants me to seek after him, to search for him. And so I go into his room and open the closet and, oh, is he in here? Oh, is he under the desk? And you can hear him giggling under the sheet, you know, because he's, again, horrible at this game. Um, and the funny thing is, if I, like, take too long, he starts going, psst, <laughs> psst, you know, from under the sheet. And so it's like, oh, okay, oh, he's under the covers. Ah. And, you know, he laughs and it, I laugh every time because it's just so funny. But, uh, I mean, in a way, that's kind of what Christ has done. He has made the kingdom available. He says, here it is. And he calls us to search after it, to pursue it, to step into a, a way of life under the rule and reign of God that he's been laying out in this sermon. He says, it's available to you. All you have to do is pursue it. You don't have to find it. I've brought it to you. But we're also called at the same moment, the same sentence, to seek his righteousness. And I think this is hugely important because it's not seek our righteousness. It's not seek others' righteousness. If you remember uh, in Matthew 5.20, when Trent preached this as part of our Sermon on the Mount series, uh, he preached this and he, he, he's convinced, and I think he's probably right, that this is a, the central verse on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, at least it's one of the central ones where Jesus uh, looks at the scribes and the Pharisees and he says, you know, unless your righteousness talking to his hearers surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So Christ singles out the religious elite of the day and says, hey, you see those guys that seemingly do everything right that you're supposed to? Unless you are somehow more righteous than them, you will not find the kingdom of God. It's near at hand, but you won't find it if that's how you go about life. And he goes on in and, and kind of another place that you're teaching. You find that the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees weren't their external actions. It was the manner of their heart. It was that Christ calls them at other places whitewashed tombs. The things look great on the out time, like it's a fresh coat of paint. Things look great on the outside, fresh coat of paint, all of those things. But on the inside, you find death, decay, destruction, and rot. Uh, Because what they're about is for the applause of man. They're out for the, the grandness of their own lives. They're out to prove how good they are. And left to our own devices, if we seek our own righteousness, that's what we're prone to. That I'm going to try harder to do better to try and uh, mold my external actions to what I think I need to do to please others and to please God. Uh, but my heart won't change. But what Christ calls us here is seek the righteousness of God. What's the difference? The righteousness of God is the righteousness that's not concerned primarily with the external action, but is concerned with the right direction of the heart. It's the, the righteousness that produces a new creation in us. It's not about trying to do better, but it's about transforming the person from the inside out. Making us a new person that not only uh, eventually gets to where our behavior changes, but it, it changes our hearts so that these things that God is commanding in the Sermon on the Mount are the things that by nature we want to do. Not what we're forced to do, but we want to live this way because we see the beauty and the goodness of what Christ is calling us to it's the type that says, uh, you've heard, do not murder. But I tell you, do not even hate your brother. Um, it's the type that says, not only, hey, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, don't even lust. Because if you're lust, you're already on the path down that way towards sin. It's the type that says, hey, forgive your in- enemies. And not only forgive them, but love your enemies. These things that we hear just naturally, like, I cannot bring about that in my life. It's the, the, the thing that the righteousness of God provides us as we seek it and the beautiful the, the beautiful news here is that not only has God made the kingdom of God available but God makes the righteousness of God available he brings that near to us that he lived the perfect life that as he paints this picture of this life of goodness that we know if we're honest that we do not measure up to Christ fulfilled it at every turn and that not only that he went to the cross to die the death that we deserve to take uh the punishment for our own sins on his shoulders and to offer us this gateway to a right relationship with God. That Christ not only brings near the kingdom that we need to seek, but he brings the righteousness of God that we're called to seek and offers it to us as a gift. He extends the invitation to pursue this, that all we have to do is step into it to respond uh, to his call on our lives and it's available to us. And this is the gospel that we preach every week, but not just the gospel as we receive it once upon a time to come to faith, but it's the gospel we need to walk in each and every day that this invitation is still extended to us, no matter if we succeed in what God has called us to, or we've fallen short once again, that it's still offered to us the forgiveness, the love, and the righteousness of God um, to learn, to grow, and to, to seek after each and every day. And this is the reality, this seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that backs up the second half of this verse, that, and all these things will be added to you. You know, normally we think my biggest need, your biggest need, is to make sure that kind of our daily necessities are met. But here God reminds us in this passage this week and the, the previous weeks that our biggest need is a right relationship with God and to strive after that. And if we seek after a relationship with God that he has called us to, and if we put our energy to that, then we can trust that God is going to cover the needs that we have for the day. Because that is who God is. That is how he promises to act. And if we rely on his promises, he will not leave us short. You know, the same God that provides his kingdom and his righteousness is going to provide our needs for the day. Just a few verses after this passage, Jesus will say that uh, if you are who, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... Uh, how much more will your your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We'll look at that in more uh, detail when we get there in the sermon. But the idea is that if we have a good father in heaven, then we can trust him for these things. Uh, Trent used a phrase several weeks ago uh, now, I don't remember exactly when, but everything that comes into our life, he said, is father-filtered. You know, that it goes through the hands of a loving and good and caring father who is in control of everything that comes into our life. And so anything that we encounter, we can trust, came from him and is for our good and his glory. Um, I know, uh, I've got a friend who goes by the name of T.A. that uh, was once upon a time a youth minister in Austin. Uh, And Austin has a bunch of lakes and he was like a lake guy. He loved taking the youth group to the lake, getting some church members that had boats and going jet skiing, and uh, water skiing, and tubing, and all that. And there was one church member in the bo- in the church uh, that had a been blessed uh, financially, and it was very, very successful, and had just bought a brand new, very nice uh, water skiing boat. And so TA, because he's a late guy, said, hey, do you mind uh, helping us take a bunch of youth students out to the lake and having a good day? And the guy was generous and said, yeah, of course. You know, they set the time, and they went out and had a good day. Well, somewhere along the time, uh one of the students either purposefully or accidentally, I'm not sure, uh managed to take a Sharpie and mark up one of the seats on a brand new boat. Um and so TA hears about this after the fact and of course just has this dread. Um and he goes and walks up to this guy that had lent the boat to them and taken them out and been kind and goes, I am so sorry, you know, that this happened I I don't know I can't make it up to you. I don't know. And he said the guy's response, he's just kind of sitting there looking at the seat. He goes, No, I mean I'm just trying to figure out why God thought I needed a boat with Sharpie on it. You know, anyone else would have that first response? Like, you know, I think most of us would have like a response that's not appropriate for speaking of in church. Um, But that was where he was. He saw this thing that had come through the hands of his father and said, I don't understand what's going on, but God is teaching me something through this. You know, the point isn't if Jared asks to borrow your boats just say no. Um, the point is, you know, God can work in our hearts that he produces something that as we encounter challenges and we encounter things that we would normally get really upset about, that we just see it differently than we did before. Um, in another way, how does this look as we approach? There was a church, uh, recently that's been in the news in Ontario. Um, the church started about 20 years ago. Uh, they, for 15 years, were nomads. They had no property. They just met here, and then that wouldn't work, so they'd outgrow that. They'd move somewhere else. And they moved around. About in 2015, you know, four or five years ago now, they started praying for God to give them a permanent location to meet. Uh, and then God answered that prayer in 2019, and they received another church, gifted them their building. And so they were able to start meeting in this space. Well, then after 2019, you know, what happens? We know 2020 hits uh, and all that comes with that. Uh, And in their region, uh, the government actually imposed a restriction and said, you cannot meet. And they try to step in and just say, you know, it's against the law for churches to gather in person. Uh, We've been fortunate. I know it's a a mess and people... um, Disagree on kind of what the best course of action is but at least in texas, you know We were exempted from the laws as a religious organization So we were left to decide kind of what how to navigate uh, the what was going on um, But where they were they said hey, we can't stand for this We cannot allow the government to put up their foot down and say you can't meet and so they continued to meet um, they thought that was the, the most important thing um, and so they begin to get tickets and it gets to the point that even they would have patrol cars parked outside the church that like as you guys left, cops would chase you down and ticket you for coming to the church. Um, The elders of the church were ticketed, they were held in contempt of court. Uh, It got to the point two weeks ago or so, the government seized their building Uh, and now you know as it progresses through court you know it'll play out and hopefully uh, will be restored to them. Um, But the pastor wrote an article on his blog and said hey, you know, we prayed for a building and we thought our building was for the future of the church and to grow and to minister. Turns out our building was to kind of take a stand for the government cannot tell the church of Christ what to do. Um, And he goes, that's okay. You know, we've been a church without a building and we are once again a church without a building. And, you know, we don't know how this will play out, um, but we thought we needed a building. Turns out, God says, we don't need a building anymore, at least for this time. But He said." I feel good because we sought the kingdom of God first. Um, and so this then pivots to verse 34. and um, with another invitation to release our anxiety to God. It says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself or for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we're at a stage in parenting, like I said, we've got a four-year-old, uh, where of the time we're saying, like, one of three phrases, it feels like. Um, And maybe that's the stage of parenting that is always the stage of parenting. I don't know. We're only four years into this. You guys that are a little farther along will have to tell me. But we say the same thing over and over and over uh, because Logan has a hard time sometimes getting some of these things that we're trying to get him to do, some of these behaviors we're trying to instill in him. And here, uh, in the span of ten verses, Jesus says the same command to us three times. I think he does this because he's a good teacher and he knows this is a challenge and this is a command that's going to be very hard for us to actually get and to walk in. And so he says three times, do not, therefore, do not be anxious. And one thing that uh, I noted as I was kind of preparing for this is it's never an isolated command. Like there are times in scripture where God just gives a command to us. You know, don't steal. It's not really a whole lot that backs that up in the Ten Commandments. It's just a sentence. Don't commit adultery. Just don't. Uh, But here he doesn't just go, don't be anxious. See you. You know, every time he says, therefore, do not be anxious, it's built on a reminder of the goodness and the provision of God. He says, if these things are true, if this is who God really is, then we can rely on him to provide for our needs that we don't have to meet them for ourselves. And if we don't have to meet them for ourselves, then I don't have to be anxious about how I'm going to achieve that. You know, and I appreciate how this specific command to not be anxious kind of completes the earlier one about the birds, to kind of contemplate the birds of the air and the grass of the field. Uh, because if that's taken on its own, it's almost a little uh, idyllic. You know, it's like pastoral and it's, oh, this is sweet. Uh, everything's always going to work out great for us. Uh, but here, it's a little different tone. He says, hey, don't be anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Today has its own troubles. Like as we leave here, we're going to encounter troubles uh, and difficulties and different things uh, that will come up in our life. But the call here is to meet the troubles of today with the grace that God gives us for today and to not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious about itself. So what does this mean? It's not fatalism like, hey, just don't even think about tomorrow. No, let go and let God, God will take care of it. But it's calling us not to think about that our future is only going to be dictated by our own efforts Uh, and strengthen our ability to achieve something. Uh, There's a passage in Luke 12 that we know as the parable parable of the rich fool uh, where you have a guy that has this great crop and he uh, realizes that his wealth has grown so much that his barns can't contain it. And so he goes, well what am I going to do with all this wealth that I have? Oh, I'll knock down my barns, I'll build bigger barns and then I'll just take life easy. Um, And then God kind of responds to this guy in that moment and says, uh, He rebukes him, saying, fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. And then who will benefit from what you have prepared for yourself? And the story concludes with a statement that almost sounds like it comes from this passage uh, where Jesus says, and this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. You know, we're commanded to seek first the kingdom, to not, as we prepare for the future, to have that uh, before us in all things that we do, not just kind of our own desires and our own strivings and inclinations. Instead, uh, I think it compares to James four thirteen through 15, where there it says, "'Come now, you who say tomorrow, or sorry, today or tomorrow, "'we will go into such and such a town "'and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. "'Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. "'What is your life? "'For you are a mist that appears for a little time "'and then vanishes.'" Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You know, Jesus here isn't commanding us to not think about tomorrow. I think what he's commanding us to do is to understand there are things that we are in control of. And then there are a lot of things that are completely outside of our control. And so what we should do is focus on what we can do today to be a good steward, to be a good parent, to prepare for the future, to do the things that we think God has called us to today and tomorrow, but then let the things that we can't control trust them to God that knows what will come. All we do is worry about this may happen or this may not, but we do not have the strength and we do not know how to handle those because they aren't even here. Uh, I love the way Max Licato puts this. He says that God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. The key is this, meet today's problems with today's strength. Do not, don't start tackling tomorrow's problems until tomorrow. You do not have tomorrow's strength yet. You simply have enough for today. So each of us have different paths, different struggles. Like I, There are things that will be difficult that come into my life. Um, there will be difficulties that come into your life. We do not know when. We do not know what those will look like. Um, I cannot walk your path for you. You cannot walk my path for me. Um, But what God does is promise for each of us, no matter what our path looks like, to meet us today with what we need. It's Israel in the wilderness where God provided the manna. Every day when they woke up, there was bread for today. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, pray that today give us our daily bread. We wake up and say, God, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I have some ideas, uh, but I just am not in control of what happens when I leave here. There's so much that are outside of that. Um, And that reality can drive us to worry and stress and be anxious, or it can drive us to prayer and say, God, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but you do. You know, many of you in here uh, in our church are in some sort of government contractor role, Um, and you can do certain things. You can work As hard as you can, I think you should work as hard as you can to make yourself an employee that they would hate to lose. But you know, just from your experience in your career, if that government contract doesn't get renewed, that job's gone. They may hate to lose you, but they're going to lose you (laughs) because they're going to cut you uh, because the the money's not there. You know, many of us were affected um, so drastically uh, by the, the freeze a couple of months ago, you know, and are still feeling those effects. Um, As you get back into your house, what can you do? I mean, you can try and insulate your house a little bit better, kind of know, okay, these are the problems that happened, uh, so I'm going to take care of those. Uh, Past that, what? Burn a lot of carbon fuel? You know, come on, global warming, let's not freeze again. Uh, What are you going to do to prevent the weather from happening that radically impacts your life? And you're like, well, this was my March plan, and now my March plan is radically different than what I expected. And that isn't to make light or trivial these things, these challenges that God brings into our future. It's just that none of us expected that. None of us expected COVID. None of us expected that government contract to not come through. None of us expected that health diagnosis. But all we know is the promise of God is to meet us in that moment when that diagnosis comes and go, okay, I have the grace that I need for today. And our mind can spin up, well, what if this? What if that? What if, you know, again, all we can say is those may happen. What we have to navigate this is the promise of God that if and when that comes, God will meet us there as, just as he meets us today. And so what do you need today? You need the strength for today. Uh, what do you need to take your next step with God? You need the strength that God will give you to take that step. You may not have the strength, you don't have the strength to take the second and the third step, but you have the promise that God will meet you there. What does it take to start turning uh, worry over to God? For some of us, this is easier. For some of us, this is a very, very hard thing to do because we hang on to this pretty tightly. Uh, We need the strength to take one step towards turning worry and stress and anxiety over to God. And we have the promise that God, through the Spirit, will work to give you that if you seek the kingdom and his righteousness because that's the promise that God makes to us. So just a few things, um, because I know it's really easy to be like, Don't be anxious. See ya. Um, You know, but uh, just some tools that if you want to take a a step and okay, what does it look like to turn a little bit of my worry, a little bit of my stress, a little bit of anxiety over to this Father that promises this? Where do I even start? A few just really practical things. One, uh, make time for prayer. Make time for reading the Bible. Make time for Christian community. Uh, And I know that's kind of broken record church advice, uh, but it's broken record church advice because that's, the first step really um if i were to invite you um, pretend you know something about cars whether you do or not uh if i were to invite you over because my car is not working and i'm like hey i need to get to amarello where my family is uh, this isn't working and you come over and you're like it seems like it's working uh did you get gas I'm Like, oh i meant to you know but i got so busy and stuff was going on you'd be like thanks for wasting my time you know like that's the the first thing you have to do like it is a fact that my car will not run your car will not run unless you have a Tesla, without gasoline in it. You know, if you have an internal combustion engine, you have to put gasoline in it to drive a mile. In the same way, it is a fact that God's tools, the fuel he's given us for our Christian life and our Christian growth, begins with reading scripture, praying, and being in Christian community. So the first things I'd ask is, are you in the word to read how he's always provided for his people that will remind us how we can uh, rely on his provision in the future? Are you lifting up your worries uh, to him through prayer in a non-rushed way, that you can actually sit and turn those over to him? Um, and do you have Christian friends uh, that don't affirm you in your, your anxiety? You know, the ones that are like, oh yeah, I'd be stressed about that too. But the ones that actually redirect your anxiety uh, to trust in the Lord, the ones that challenge you to do that. Um, secondly, I talked about this a little bit, uh, but work as unto the Lord. Uh, Colossians 3 23 and 24 say whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not from men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your award you are serving the Lord Christ you know this is do what is in your power today uh, plan well invest well be a great employee um, set yourself up for whatever is in your power you are doing it right but then second do not or third do not borrow trouble you know, there are things that are in your power, and then there are things that just aren't, um, that only God can. If you're, You know, it's a wise thing to do to save for retirement and say, I'm going to, you know, provide for my family uh, that one day I can not have to work eight to five. But in 1999, Enron was a way better investment than Apple. And how'd that turn out, you know? Enron was the safe bet, and it went belly up, and Apple went... Through the roof. You know, like there are things that there are just no way to know what is going to happen. Is the market going to crash? Is the uh, housing bubble going to go up or down? Um, How is your health going to do? How is your parents' health going to do? And how will that impact your finances? How are your kids going to turn out? All of these things will drive us either mad or drive us to prayer in the Lord. Um, Fourth, pay attention to your inputs. Uh, One thing I think I see a lot of anxiety, we bring into our life from external sources. Uh, I think there's a, a big, two big things, uh, and it could be different for each of you, but two big things that kind of bring this into a lot of people's lives. One is uh, cable news. Um, we listen to this a lot. Anytime you go into a doctor's office, it seems to be on. Um, cable news, and this may be a little bit of my cynical side, uh, they are not a nonprofit organization. They have a profit motive. And the thing that drives profit Is eyeballs And the thing that drives eyeballs is fear and anger. And so a lot of, not all, but a lot of what you'll see on your big network news uh, is a telling of the facts that's meant to make you angry or meant to make you afraid. And if we consume too much of that, it does bad things to our spirit um, for many of us. Again, that's not a call to be uninformed. That's not a call that says you shouldn't watch that at all. But a call to test yourself and say, what is this doing to me? Is this something that is helping me be a better... Uh, citizen of the kingdom of God in this world? Or is this something that is driving me to fear and anxiety and worry over things that, again, are outside primarily of your control? And secondly, I think a huge thing is social media. It drives uh, worry by comparison. It drives worry because we're so busy, and then we lose like three hours just scrolling through Facebook. and like, oh, someone I haven't talked to in 13 years got a dog. You know, and, and these different things. Um, it drives worry by... Uh, <laughs> Uh, targeted ads that you buy all these things you didn't know you needed for some of us, and then you're like, why don't I have any money? And you've got like Amazon boxes stacked up that high. Um, you know, there are things that can happen in our life that this just brings that isn't good for us. That's not saying, uh, again, social media is all bad, that there's a lot of good for it, but it's worth reflecting on, what is this bringing into my life? And maybe setting up uh, screen time limits, uh, or maybe it is completely shutting it off. Uh, and just saying, you know what, what this brings into my life costs me more than the good that, it, uh, that I derive from it. And so I'm just not going to let this continue to drive me. Uh, maybe for you it's something else. There's an input that you just look at and go, you know what, this is not doing things for my good and God's glory. It's, it's driving fear and anxiety, and it can be removed. Uh, and finally, make space to reflect on God's prior t- provision. You know, how do you learn to trust God for tomorrow? Um, a huge thing is you take the time to remember how he provided for you today. If you read the Old Testament, um, I think the most frequent command that God gives his people is just to remember. Remember what God did. Remember how he provided. Remember how he saved you from Egypt. Remember what he did at this time. Remember how he saved you from the Ammonites. Remember what happened when this happened. Remember when you disobeyed and God uh, disciplined you. Remember, remember, remember. And it's because we get so wrapped up in what faces us today or even what faces us maybe a week, a month, a year from now. That's all we think about. Like, How are we going to do that? Whereas we can reflect if we discipline ourselves to remember how God has always provided for us till we got to where we are then it helps us remember, if God has done that, like, is he going to fall asleep at the will? Is he just going to get tired of providing and decide, well, you know, I'm done. You know, I've done it enough. It's now on you. No, God is going to continue to be faithful to us. And so how we get some of the grace that we need to uh, approach the challenges of today is remember how he provided for us yesterday and last year. And then once we wake up tomorrow, and tomorrow is now today, God will provide the grace for that day, because we remember how he provided for us yesterday, and so on and so forth. And it just continues to go as God meets us where we are. Uh, and we, so we just build that discipline of remembering. For some, this is, you know, kind of write it down in a journal. That makes sense for you. For others, it may just develop the habit of speaking this to people because that helps you kind of internalize it. If you verbalize it to others, you'll remember it better. Uh, Maybe it's kind of build a family discipline of, hey, how are you seeing God provide for uh, our family? And you do it at dinner. You know, it could be a thousand other ways, but build the practice of reflecting on God's prior provision. Because again, if you just build up this huge track record over years of God providing for you in your hour of need in a way you did not expect then when that next hurdle comes up, when that next challenge, and you're like, I don't know how God's going to provide, you can go, but I think he will, because he always has. And so nowhere in Scripture does God uh, promise to take away the difficulties we face in this world, but he promises to meet us in them with the strength we need to face them. And the command of Jesus in this passage is an invitation to take him up on that promise, to begin to learn what that looks like. Not that we're going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, okay, all my anxieties, all my cares are on the Lord, but begin to walk a lifetime of, okay, how can I trust him a little bit more? As I feel those anxieties, as I feel those worries and stress begin to come on me, I can learn what it looks like to turn them over in faith to a God that wants to bear those for them, because that's the reality. We face a world that is so much out of our control. So those anxieties and cares will come, and they're either going to rest on our shoulders, or we cast them on the God who cares for us and asks us to tell them and give them to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, that you provide. Thank you that this whole thing starts with the idea that you promise to provide for us, that you care for us, that you Uh, say, you know the number of hairs on our heads down to the littlest detail. And so you know the things that we need uh, more than we do. And thank you that your promise is that you will give those to us for your uh, glory and our good as we seek and strive after your kingdom. I pray that you would give us the grace that we need to take that step on what that looks like for everyone in this room, to seek your kingdom first, um, and that we would begin to learn just in a small way, if that's what we need, uh, we would turn one care, one worry, one source of anxiety over to you, and that we would see through that how faithful you truly are, uh, and we would experience the joy and the freedom. um, It seems so far away for so many of us, but it is a promise of you that is available to us in Christ. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.